from CPRI and the CPRI Knowledge Hub, this is Research Minutes, a weekly look at new and important research in education. Today, we look at school leadership in the wake of COVID-19 and a new framework designed to help educators respond and improve going forward. There was just this range of challenges that were accelerating, complicated, and people couldn't rely too much on what used to happen in schools. So John and I felt that we really wanted to look at how to help educators deal with this set of complexities and the acceleration associated with it. We welcome renowned education leadership experts, Jonathan Sapovitz and John Doria, co-authors of a research-backed guide and companion video introducing the Leadership for Learning framework. They walk us through the framework and how it might look in action what we essentially did was created a mock leadership team that was really grappling with problems that came from the experiences of some of our school principals and district leaders who were involved in the development process. And some potential applications for district and school leaders in the months and years ahead. We're not going back to the way we used to be. And I think the challenges we have faced and will continue to face, they are really influencing educators to become scientists of learning. That's right now on Research Minutes. Hello and welcome to Research Minutes. I'm Keith Hugh-Miller, Managing Editor of the CPRI Knowledge Hub. Today, we're happy to be speaking with Jonathan Sapovitz, Professor and Director of the Consortium for Policy Research and Education at the University of Pennsylvania Graduate School of Education. He also, in full disclosure, happens to be my boss. Welcome, John. Colleagues, Keith, colleagues. And we're also speaking with John Doria, Director of the Educational Leadership Concentration and member of the Organizational and Leadership Psychology Faculty at William James College. He's also co-author of the new book, The Influential School Leader. Thanks so much for joining us, John. I'm excited to be here. So today we're discussing your recent guide and companion video, both now available at gse.upenn.edu, titled Leading Improvement in Challenging Times. They offer a detailed set of improvement processes, leadership skills, and school conditions that can help educational leaders navigate one of the most trying periods in the nation's history and collaborate within their districts, their schools, and teams to address questions of equity, access, technology, pedagogy, and social-emotional support. Uh, To start, John Doria, could you walk us through the origins of this project? Uh, What was it that you were hoping to achieve, and what expertise or research did you rely on in creating this guide? Well, Starting last March, when the pandemic really influenced all of society, but it really led to a big impact on schools, we started realizing that educators were really facing daunting challenges and an acceleration of those challenges. Not only they had about one week, if they were fortunate, to move from sort of face-to-face teaching to online learning, which in many, many districts across the country had never happened before. So you had all the technological pieces to it, all the pedagogical pieces to it. It it, it was a big, big challenge, that alone. But at the same time, we had social justice movements that were really impacting schools, not only in terms of their own work to become 
more equitable, but also how to talk about these issues with schools. This was not necessarily something that all educators were comfortable doing. We had the impact of the economy, which deeply affected communities, which fund the schools. And there was just this range of challenges that were accelerating, complicated, and really people couldn't rely too much on what used to happen in schools. And so uh, John and I felt that we really wanted to look at how to help educators deal with this set of complexities and the acceleration associated with it. And in order to do that, school leaders and school communities really needed to become more nimble in their approach to problems. You know, uh, schools are slow-moving enterprises. You know, if they're going to look at the math curriculum, that may take a year to examine all sorts of aspects of, of what's out there and then make a decision and then take another year to implement it. And while that may work in the old time frame, dealing with some of these issues that I just discussed, uh, people didn't have that luxury of time. And so in looking at what kinds of research could support this approach, this challenging kind of leadership, you know, one of the main sources we looked at was the research of Amy Edmondson at the Harvard Business School. And she had done some very, very fascinating research on how business organizations and nonprofits really had to deal with acceleration of change. The, this project really met the moment, as my colleague John Doria just described, but it really had its roots in some earlier work that we did thinking about how to incorporate distributed leadership into school improvement processes. And we're going to talk about the framework that we developed in a minute, but there's really a set of research-informed aspects of this work that really bring together quite a range of different kinds of research. Amy Edmondson's work certainly is one of the core pieces. There are pieces around improvement processes that are under the title Improvement Science. And then there's a variety of research-informed leadership skills. So... The guide and the companion video present what you call the Leadership for Learning Framework, which consists of three central components. It's a set of essential conditions for schools, systematic improvement processes, and a set of leadership skills. John Zapovitz, could you explain what those are and why they're important for educational leaders in times of uncertainty or crises? You know, I was I was digging into this old shoebox I have of old cards, and I came across a Gary Larson cartoon that was one of my favorites. And it's it's a polar bear um, poised over an igloo, and he's saying something like "Mmm, crunchy on the outside and chewy on the inside." And um, this, to me, is is kind of a metaphor for the combination of, of elements that we put into the Leadership for Learning framework. And so the inside component is really the improvement process. And there's a whole movement in education about how schools and education organizations really move towards systematic engagement with developing hypotheses and testing those hypotheses and moving towards improvement. And that reform really comes from a continuous improvement process inside of schools as opposed to something that's externally introduced. But that process really raises a whole variety of human and socio-emotional 
aspects that really need to be put on the table and addressed. And so this is what I think of as the outside shell in that you can't engage in improvement unless you really think and attend to other aspects. And so the way that we frame this in our Leadership for Learning framework is a set of foundational organizational conditions that need to be in place. Um, we can talk about some of these in more detail later, but there are things like what John mentioned, psychological safety and trust, creating a learning culture, and of course, having accountability throughout the process. And then in addition, surrounding the improvement process, that process really confronts a variety of challenges for leaders that they need to be skillfully adept at responding to when introducing this process. And this, these include things like how to navigate power differentials and how to address non-discussables and how to balance inquiry in the process with advocacy for a particular approach and the discomforts of disagreements, which will naturally arise as you start to dig into different approaches towards improvement. And so our framework really provides both this internal improvement process, but surrounding that with a set of foundational essential skills and a set of leadership skills. I would also underscore that one of the things that popped out for us as we examined these essential leadership skills that John just referenced is how many of them relate to sort of the domain of social emotional expertise. You know, schools have moved to help children with these skills because we have an increasing realization that social emotional skill sets actually support learning, support development. But we haven't been so focused on the fact that adults need these skills, particularly leaders. And as John mentioned, that, you know, if we're going to address racism and its aspects systemically within schools, if we're going to look at the different approaches that really various constituencies want to infuse into a school, we're going to run into conflicts. And conflicts generate emotions. And lots of times people are very uncomfortable with those emotions and uncomfortable with disagreements. And so managing your emotions, for example, became a very important aspect of uh, the leadership skills that uh, John mentioned. I just wanted to say that as just a singular example, it's not the only thing that's needed. And I think one thing that John has taught me in this experience is this really profound concept that we've infused into the essential conditions of schools which is John's concept of the fractal nature of schooling. And just like fractals are replicants of themselves, we see that the way that adults interact are reflected in the way that adults interact with students and even in the way that students interact. And so this is just another example, I think, of how the leadership skills, which include a variety of social-emotional skills and essential conditions and improvement processes, all really interact together and that it's in this combination that the power of using continuous improvement for moving schools forward really is centered. The companion video for this guide actually depicts a fictionalized leadership team navigating the COVID-19 pandemic either using or in some instances not using the components of this framework. Could you give us some examples of what 
those components might look like in a real world setting and what their benefit might be to leaders and their colleagues? So as we started to think about how we would introduce this framework to school leaders this summer, we were really confronted with how do we actually create an experience that relates to the actual experience of school leadership teams and school faculty members. And we decided that it would be impractical for us to actually bring different folks into a single space to do this. So we decided that we were going to create a mock leadership team, and we used avatars as the particular representations of the members of the leadership team. And we created an experience of this leadership team grappling with how they were going to start with introducing a hybrid learning experience for members of their community, and then how they were going to meet the needs of kids as they tried to think about what a hybrid learning opportunity looked like. And then different members of a certain grade level team trying to develop some ideas about how they would increase student senses of engagement and belonging with their school experiences, and then collecting some data and testing some hypotheses. And so what we essentially did was created a mock leadership team that was really grappling with problems that came from the experiences of some of our school principals and district leaders who were involved in the development process. And we really tried to create a realistic scenario that exemplified the three elements of our framework. So there was an improvement process, a set of essential conditions that we had the principal of the school trying to create, and some of the leadership skills that arose as the team participated in this improvement journey. And one example of that involved, as, as John mentioned, uh, the team trying to figure out how to strengthen belonging and engagement, particularly during the times when the teaching would occur online. Generally speaking, teachers are, have a confidence level of how to build engagement and belonging when they're in face-to-face -face teaching. But as soon as you move to an online environment, you know, some of the strategies and approaches really can't work in that setting. So in this setting that John described, there was a mini experiment that got developed and some of the teachers really uh, decided to try offering more choices to students in their activities, where others tried a different experiment where they spent more time in the beginning of a lesson developing sort of a social-emotional connection with kids and deepening their relationship with kids with uh, social activities before they delved into the meat of the lesson. And there were assessments that were involved, and then a look at the data to see, out of these two approaches, did we see an increase in attendance? Did we see an increase in participation? Did we see an increase in engagement and more positive reactions with one versus the other. And it turned out one of those uh, experiments did produce better results. And that, in turn, developed the kinds of tensions that often exist in schools because uh, people's favorite activity or favorite approach may not be the one that the school wanted to endorse because the results were less potent. And having that discussed at a meeting, having that addressed and acknowledged at a meeting, 
were some of the examples that we tried to illuminate with this approach. We're speaking now in late January, and we still don't have a clear idea of when, how, and in what form schools across the country will resume in-person instruction. Uh, that said, do you think this framework will have applications for educational leadership, not only in the months ahead, but if and when schools finally begin to return to some sense of normalcy? I absolutely do. I, I think what this framework does is really provide tools for educational leaders and strategies to really deal with newer problems, uh, challenges that perhaps we can't even anticipate. And I think the example of how we're going to return to school under what conditions is an example of that. I personally think the chances of us simply next September or maybe next October just turning on a switch and returning to schools the, the way schools operated eight or nine months ago is it's just a low probability. And I think schools are going to have to figure out how do we take all the experiences that are quite varied that our students had, depending on their family situation, their technology, their ability to practice the skills that they were taught in a hybrid environment, and how do we make sense of that within our schools? And that includes the educators themselves who had a variety of teachers. Some teachers taught solely online, some are doing hybrid, some were doing live. And how do we rebuild community in schools? How do we really look forward and say, what could we take from this experience and actually make our teaching and learning stronger than it was before COVID? And what are the things we want to jettison that perhaps don't make sense anymore if, in fact, we can come back. Th that's a complicated issue. And I think some of the conditions that we need to discuss that, like psychological safety, uh, some of the ideas that we need to really practice some experimentation to see what might be a better approach, how do we really tap into the perspectives of parents and different constituencies, which require you know, managing um, people who are not going to agree are all going to be important skills that educational leaders will need in order to build whatever this uh, return to school looks like. Just to reiterate what John just depicted, both students and faculty members are going to come back to school with all of these different experiences. And this leadership for learning framework that we have started to articulate really provides a way for school leaders to capitalize on all of those diverse experiences to infuse the best of them or to hypothesize about ways to improve the experiences of students and to make their experiences more culturally responsive and to start to bring those notions that were developed perhaps in pockets or by individuals into the regular organization and structures and routines. Finally, do you think that there are opportunities here for future research, possibly into school and district responses in the wake of the pandemic, or how and under what conditions educational leaders were able to navigate this period and successfully support students in their schools? Absolutely. Um, I think we're not going back to the way we used to be. And one way I like to think about 
some of these changes is I think the challenges we have faced and will continue to face, they are really influencing educators to become scientists of learning. And in the true sense of the word, that they need to investigate like scientists do different solutions, different approaches, and then they have to assess to see what is working and what's not working, and then making appropriate adjustments based on those findings. And while you know some educators have already developed that sense of scientific inquiry about their pedagogy and about the learning of their students, and similarly principles with their teachers, it hasn't become part of the sort of normal routine of school to have educators think of themselves as scientists of learning. And I think we really need some interesting research to help us think through, well, how are we going to prepare future educators and educational leaders? How are we going to help current educators and educational leaders move from where they are now to this different approach? If you just take a simple thing like a lesson plan, well, you know, schools of education have helped aspiring teachers develop lesson plans that are rich in engagement and rigorous in content and you know, how to assess the learning. But what we're adding to this is we want to have educators think of each of their lesson plans as an experiment. You know, the night before, they're thinking about the skills and content that they want their students to learn. They create a series of activities, and then they execute it the next day in this experiment. But what happens with experiments is oftentimes they're only partially successful. Some kids learn, some kids almost learn, some kids really are confused and are perhaps not gaining the insights what we hope. And what teachers need to begin to realize, as well as their supervisors, their principals, and their superintendents, is that's a typical kind of experiment. And what we want educators to think of is to first know the results of that experiment and then not to judge themselves or to shame themselves as there's something wrong, but really to strategize, what can I do differently tomorrow to really close some of those gaps and support the people who have already learned the lesson? That kind of thinking really needs to occur at all levels in an educational setting, and that's transformational. And so the research on how to do that, I think, is going to be an important area. Just to reiterate what John was pointing out, this is a paradigm shift. This is switching from thinking about research as an external separate thing from school improvement that occurs inside of schools and inside of districts to really infusing these sets of skills and mindsets into the regular practices of schools. And as John says, this is a transformational idea and that this combination of the foundational conditions of schools and the set of skills that leaders need to have in order to engage in this continuous improvement process really sets both a really exciting opportunity for schools to take ownership of their own improvement processes, but also requires attendance to some potentially complicated issues. Well, this is fantastic work, John and John, and we encourage our listeners to go download the full guide or watch the companion video. Again, the project is titled Leading Improvement in Challenging Times, and you can find it now at gse.upenn.edu. 
Jonathan Zapovitz and John Doria. Thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for listening to this week's Research Minutes, presented by the CPRI Knowledge Hub. For more episodes or to subscribe to the series, you can find us at researchminutes.org. To share thoughts on today's episode or to suggest a future topic, you can follow us on Twitter at CPRI Hub. That's C-P-R-E Hub. <laughs>